Hello, and welcome to the Bite Size Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Shiroki, and today we are going to continue our look at the book of Galatians. In our last episode, we looked at Galatians. We started our look by looking at verses 1 through 6, where Paul discusses Christian liberty, and today we are going to continue on that, and we are going to look at verses 7 through 15, where Paul just basically um, describes how love fulfills the law. Because again, you got into this whole look at Galatians because I had initially started looking at the book of Exodus and the Mosaic Law, which was very edifying and very enlightening as far as showing us who the Lord is and what his requirements were. You know, just basically touching, actually, Exodus is really just a um, kind of a, a setup for the actual law and what would eventually become uh, Judaism itself, essentially, you know, all the practices that the God instructed, um, you know, Moses to, and the rituals that God instructed Moses to perform, as well as the high priests when it came to how he wanted his people to worship him and have reverence for him. Again, the law basically defined sin, but gave us no power or grace to really live or fulfill the requirements that God had laid out before men, essentially. But, um, you know, through the good grace of the Lord, um, everything always pointed towards the Christ, towards his son, our Messiah, coming to this earth to ultimately fulfill that law and as we keep looking into the word and as we get to know the Lord we get to know that he is love everything he did was love I mean he's amazing when it comes down to it because you know um, he created us he then gave us um, basically redeemed us from our fallen state by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and now He fills us with His Holy Spirit, baptizes us with His Holy Spirit, which in turn empowers us to finally live the life that we are called to live. And that's just simply a life of obedience and holiness before the Lord. Um, You know, I I saw a very interesting um, thought, you could say, about how, you know, everything has played out up to this point. And basically, you know, it's um, it, it comes down to it that before, the, without the resurrection, there's no salvation. So it's important that we recognize and understand that, um, you know, the resurrection is real. It's true, and everyone is going to be resurrected someday. Uh, meaning that once we die and these bodies are laid to rest that that's not the end there there is an eternity (laughs) we have an eternal purpose that um you know if you accept the lord in this life then you move on and you are part of the kingdom of god and you serve the lord for all eternity and get to know him if you do not and you choose to reject the lord and his plan and his grace and his free gift of salvation then you will eventually be judged based upon what you did on the earth And then as we going back to the law, no one can, there's none good, no, not one. So unfortunately for people that want to try to be quote unquote good enough to get into heaven, uh, 
Well, you know, the God's standards are so high that it's impossible to be good enough. That's why he sent his son to be our savior and our Lord so that we could really step into, again, the purposes for our life here on this earth and then what God wants us to eventually become in eternity. And ultimately, he's making us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, which is just a perfectly obedient servant to him. And that attitude of uh, serving is not a bad thing. It's not a negative. Um, it's <laughs> trust me when I say, and we all know that when we try to serve ourselves, we really fall flat on our face every time. Because in reality, when you're serving yourself, you're choosing to reject God and you're choosing to actually serve the world, the flesh and the devil. So, you know, again, that's never fulfilling. That's never a pleasant experience. But um, back to what, you know, kind of an interesting thought that I was going to mention is um, here while we're on this earth, we are fallen like Adam. We are in a fallen state. You know, we are um, in sinful flesh and we are in a sinful world. But the glorious thing about the resurrection is there when we are resurrected, we become like Christ. We have resurrected, glorified bodies. We are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Again, simply not because of anything we ever did. The only thing we ever did was acknowledge and put our faith in the fact that we need God and we know that Jesus was his son. He's our Messiah. We confess that and we believe it in our heart and we are saved. It's that simple. There's no extra requirements, you know, as we saw in the beginning of Galatians and through this book and which picks up why we're looking at Galatians is because Judaizers and and the early church dealt with a lot of legalism and it's still around to this day, you know, unfortunately, but you know, in the early days, it, it, the Judaizers, the the Jewish um, religious leaders, you know, their whole business and lifestyle were being interrupted by this first by Jesus, so they killed and crucified him. Then when he resurrected, and people started having the gospel preached to them, that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the free gift of grace that God offers us through salvation in his son, then they really started to see that, um, that something, something had shifted in the universe, in the spiritual realm that they couldn't control. So. In order to try to control people, they started telling them they had to be circumcised or they had to keep certain parts of the law. And as Paul covered, or, or, you know, in, in some previous passages, you know, if you try to put that yoke on uh, on a person or if you try to take on that yoke yourself by trying to keep any part of the law, then you're subject to trying. You have to keep the whole law. God has very strict requirements. And um, thank God. Jesus again. Jesus fulfilled the law, so we don't. And once He becomes our Savior and we align ourselves with the will of God, then we are set free of those standards in a sense. But as we're going to see, we are actually we are still living by those standards. But the difference now is that our hearts have been changed, 
and our hearts are being changed through the process of sanctification to be fully obedient to God. And when we are living in that that manner, in that lifestyle, then we are, you know, we are not bond, we are not in bondage to sin, we are not slaves to sin anymore to the flesh or the devil. We are now subject to God, his son and his holy spirit. And just thinking about the Holy Spirit, how amazing, you know, as I grow spiritually, as I mature, you know, I just can't, can't help to realize how um, incredibly magnificent the Holy Spirit of God is. Because if you really think about it, I mean, when Jesus left the earth, he said he's going to give us a helper. He said, Jesus himself said, it's, it's better for him to go so that the helper can come because that's how essential this helper quote unquote is and um we all know that it's by the power of the holy spirit that we have revelation we have guidance in life he lights our path he heals he performs miraculous signs through us so you know, there's, it's human nature to kind of want to almost rank, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I have to say that, you know, obviously there's a triune Godhead, three making up three entities comprising one God. But I will say that that incredible Holy Spirit cannot be misunderstood or underestimated when it comes to the importance of exactly who he is because he is he is he fills our lives he is so active in this earth it's god's spirit alive both in us and all around us and he, again the holy spirit is just an amazing amazing um third of the triune godhead and he is incredible he again when when we're reading this living word of god and things jump out at us and God speaks to us. That's God's Holy Spirit ministering to us. How amazing is that? I mean, it's just an amazing process, you know. It's um and and the Holy Spirit again. That's what gives us spiritual discernment, for example. So, you know, when you're going when you're in an environment where you may be having a good experience, a godly experience, or maybe something is kind of checking in your spirit saying, I don't know about that. Um, well, that's the Holy Spirit, you know. He's alive, he is in us. Again, just the the reality of him living in us and being around us, the omnipresence of God is just absolutely incredible, you know. I mean, Jesus when he was here, when he was speaking to Nicodemus, for example, you know, he declared that he was both on the earth and seated at the right hand of the Father at the same time. I mean, that's that's pretty mind-blowing to have. I mean, <laughs> Nicodemus, I mean, what a dude to, um, you know, be a, be a, you know, scholar at the time, a religious leader, but he knew who Jesus was. He knew he, there were several scholars, including him, that, they knew the scriptures well enough that, and they were, it's the mystery of, of the divine revelation, I guess you could say, that he knew Jesus was the Messiah. But, you know, of course, he had his place in life as well. And Nicodemus, you know, 
it, there's not much said. I, I, I'd like to do some background on Nicodemus, but I will say this. He had one of the most um, significant and important conversations that God ever had with a man in, in the um, third verse, the third chapter of John. And Nicodemus was also present after Jesus was laid to rest. He came to, he brought spices and herbs to help preserve the body of Jesus and, and you know, pre, um, prepare the body to be entombed, essentially. So, you know, Nicodemus was a believer, but I guess my point getting back to it is the fact that Jesus, his omnipresence was just very real. But again, the helper that we have now, God's Holy Spirit, is, I, I understand why the Lord said there is one coming that has to get here. He has to come in order to be able to fulfill the new covenant and really have the church expand to what it is today. Because when you look, even when I look at Paul, as I read his letters, and I mean, look, the guy wrote probably... I don't know, at least two thirds of the New Testament. So what, but here's my, just mentioning that and just seeing Paul was a man who was completely subjected to the will of God through the Holy Spirit. He was just totally enamored and, and, and swept up and saved by the Holy Spirit of God and used mightily by the Holy Spirit. But Paul was a busy dude. I mean, when you read his letters, I mean, he was constantly on the road. He was constantly traveling. He was, uh, you know, uh, one of the, well, I'd say he, he was one of the greatest evangelists to ever live, um, used mightily by God to both preach his word, declare his word in written form, and also plant the very early churches, um, that really were the foundation of the church of God that, that exists to this very day. Um, you know, look at us over 2,000 years later, still reading his letters, still studying the Word of God because the Word of God is alive. And getting back to the whole Holy Spirit point, I mean, that's the reality of where we are. The reason why we are so intrigued and drawn to God is because of his Holy Spirit. And the, the, the Spirit is here. He's alive. He is, he is working always. And it's just, it's, it's mind-numbing when you look at the, the reality of who God is and the fact that he loves us that much. What I mean, it's a mind-numbing thought to... I, I really need to see this God that we call God because, I mean, it really numbs my mind. And I know I say that often, but I don't say it in relation to anything except God for the most part because at this point, he's really the mind-numbing reality of life. But just really looking at the Lord and how he completely just is is perfectly um comprised of father son and holy spirit the the i just it, it it's a mystery to me he's a mystery but thank god he's thank god he's real and he's alive and he loves us 
and his amazing divine plan is unfolding day by day, year by year, decade by decade, century by century, millennia by millennia. Thank God that's that's the reality and truth that we know to be true. And I just thank the Lord. He is so good. He is just our he's our provider. He's the lover of our soul. He corrects us when we need correction. He guides us when we need guidance. He loves us when we need love. He he does it all. I mean, he is truly and it's no mystery when I just put it that way that we can really understand why he is such a well the counterfeit of the world is just it's so empty because the flesh you know our fallen flesh of course you know everything can be appeasing at a time but at the end of the day we all know it's just empty you know uh, anything uh, you look and you have to admit it you can get a new car and guess what you might like that car for a week a month maybe even a year but eventually it just becomes part of who you are and part of your regular life and routine and then you want a new one there's a reason why this constant there there's this constant chasing you know after things in a, in the flesh and in the world and in the satanic system because it's a you know people are always looking to fill that 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 new um you know tickle that new itch that they have but we all know that once we meet the lord ah, our hearts are settled his yoke that the the bondage of sin and the, the weight of the world literally the circumstances are taken off our shoulders that that heavy bondage and and yoke of the world is is relieved of us and then the lord clothes us in his righteousness he puts that easy light yoke on us and 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 has us with light burdens and you know he's just he's an amazing god i mean he brought the love of my life into my life months ago over 4 months ago now and um we're just you know taking everything day by day just falling more and more in love every time we see each other and I mean God is just incredibly good. I am just uh, you know, in awe when it comes to what he's done in that area of my life. You know, my my beautiful princess, my beautiful love, he's just really blessed me tremendously after many years of searching, waiting, praying, messing things up on my own. God finally got me to a place in life where I was ready to meet her and by his good grace and glory he brought us together and um just think about that that reality you know of of every little thing that God guides us with that's his holy spirit moving and working in our lives so don't take that for granted thank the lord for it every time he's our you know and even when we pray i mean he's there to lift our prayers up before the lord i mean How amazing. How amazing is that? You know, I always I'll finally tap this off, but I always had that vision of, you know, like we're like little kids trying to shoot a basketball, you know, and you know, we can't even make the ball go in anywhere near the rim. But then the Holy Spirit just he's the, he's the father. He he's the the good good um I guess you could call him the father. You could call him the Holy I'll call him what he is. The Holy Spirit picks us up. 
right up there. And just like a father does to the little kid's son who lets him just dunk the ball right there, God just dunks our prayers and just brings them up and they're a sweet aroma to the Lord. Don't ever be embarrassed to bring anything before the Lord because he wants us to bring all of our burdens and lay them at his feet. And just don't be, don't ever think, don't be shy, don't be bashful, don't ever think you can offend the Lord. Because trust me, every time you were doing all those things you were ashamed of, he was right there with you. He was. He saw it all. So, you know, he's he's graceful enough to let us live through and learn things. And he's um, compassionate enough to hear every one of our pleas in as vivid detail as we want to get. Because frankly, there's things I say to him I would never say to another person, but it's such a relief when I can just relieve, you know, and look, this is a human reality too. I know I said I'd finish up and I will, I promise, but you know, like it, it helps to just talk about things sometimes, you know, just to a friend, to sometimes a therapist, to whoever, um, you know, a coworker, you know, you had those people in your life where you can just go and lay your burdens, right? Well, the amazing thing about the Lord is he's always there and he always wants to hear our, our burdens and our worries and everything because he loves us. And not only does he hear them, he works in those situations. When we give those things to him, he moves his amazing Holy Spirit. I keep coming back to it for a good reason is always on the move. He's always alive. He's always there and he cares. He wants to hear those things. He wants to address those things, and he's our good father. So with all that said, speaking of all the love and all the grace that God gives us, let's look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 through 15, where Paul discusses how love fulfills the law. Okay. And like I said, we are going to be in Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 15. My Spirit for Life, New King James Version Bible subtitles this section, Love Fulfills the Law. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law was fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. All right, let's look at the notes for that section, and then we'll go from there. Paul severely condemns the false teachers who were hindering, persuading, and troubling the Galatians. The Judaizers not only perverted the gospel, but they also accused Paul of inconsistency in his doctrine by his preaching circumcision to the Jews and repudiating it among the Gentiles. Paul shows his contempt for the Judaizers by mockingly suggesting that 
since they prize circumcision so highly, they should emasculate themselves. Christian freedom is not the removal of moral restraints, but the freedom to serve one another. The gospel exchanges the oppressive bondage of legalism for the higher bondage of love. So again, that's the notes for Galatians 7 through 15. And before we move on, we're actually going to look at the truth and action section 4 at the end of Galatians that just expounds upon this a little bit further and talks about exactly what Paul's talking about here. So the truth section is called Steps to Dealing with Sin. We must not allow our freedom from the law to become an occasion for fleshly activity. Also, we are accountable for one another and need to keep watch for one another as well as for ourselves. And then the action section. Be free from the controlling influence of sin. Do not use the liberty you have in Christ to sin against your brother or sister in Christ. Recognize that the outcome of liberty should be loving service to others. Do not allow others to remain captive to sin. Be ready to do what is needed to restore the brother who is in sin. Behave gently without haughtiness, being aware that you too can be tempted. All right. So that right there, there's a little, it goes off a little bit into Galatians 6, 1 and 2, which we're going to talk about eventually. But the real focus there is, again, talking about the um, liberty of how Paul mentions again in verse, uh, verse 13 of Galatians 5, where he says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So, again, I mean, yes, we have liberty in Christ, and it's an amazingly great freedom that we have in the Lord. But that freedom, part of the being that, that freedom is being free from the bondages of sin. So be very careful and do not think that you, just because you're saved and we're saved by the grace and glory of our Lord, that we are to, or have a past to just go out and live in a sinful way. Because trust me when I say, you will learn very quickly that that is a disastrous approach to Christian liberty. And Paul discusses it in other parts of the Bible, and someday I'll really hone in on this. But, you know, essentially, you know, it's um, you do many things when you go out and declare Christ, and then you're out. You know, basically the, the old idea or, or example is when you're out drinking on Saturday night and then you're in church Sunday morning. It just doesn't jive. Not saying you can't drink alcohol. Not saying you can't go out and be social. But the point is, we're not called to sinful lifestyles to extremes, meaning that you're not going out to clubs, getting drunk, and then hooking up with people, and then going to church Sunday and repenting and saying it's all good. Trust me, that cycle won't last very long because um, that's, again, very disastrous and something you do not want to try to get caught because – Look, the Bible says when we go out and sin, we put Christ to an open shame. And that's exactly what it means. You're declaring that you've been, for example, set free and your life has been changed by the Lord. And then you're out living like heathen. 
So, you know, trust me when I say the mockers and the people in the world, they're going to see right through your fake testimony or your your compromised lifestyle. So don't put Christ to an open shame. I'm not saying this out of trying to guilt people into living a certain way. That's the reality and truth of the perception that we um, create when we go out and do those things. So don't even, don't even, um, don't go there to begin with. Because trust me when I say, like I said in the opening about the good Holy Spirit, he'll get a hold of you. Trust me. And he'll teach you one way or another that, that when you, what you should and shouldn't be doing. And some of those lessons are very hard lessons to learn in life. So just avoid the, avoid the error altogether and you won't have to go through those lows and those valleys in life. At least they'll be minimized as long as you're walking in the spirit. So looking at, uh, we're going to flip back to first Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter nine and look at verses 24 through 27. And we're going to look at a verse that, again, relates to Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. And again, that verse quickly is, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So again, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to look at verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest, when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So again, basically it's talking, Paul's saying there, if I am sitting there declaring X, Y, and Z, if I'm going, I'll make it real basic and simple. If I'm going out and telling people, don't do this, this, and this, and I go out and do it, then I'm an absolute hypocrite, and people are going to just see right through it, and all of that preaching, although you may believe it in your heart, that's the difference. We have to live it out. And that's what we're called to live out is walk in the spirit and not be in bondage to sin. Look, we're all in different stages of life, but I can tell you this. I've been, that sin has been broken out of my life. So many things that I struggled with for so many years, decades of my life at points, but by the good grace of God, he broke that out of my life. And he, he is who the sun sets free by the good gracious God we serve is free indeed. And I'm free. You know, I'm a changed man. I'm a new man, a new creation in Christ. We're new creations in Christ. And that's very biblical and true. So be the new creation. Don't try to, you know, trust me when I say you can't live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. That does not last very long. And I guarantee you that foot in the church will go into the world a lot quicker then that foot in the world will go back into the church. So you don't want to go down that that um, that path. It's a dark path. And again, if you live like a hypocrite, anybody can see right through it. And you basically destroy your testimony. So when Paul's talking about those crowns that we receive, that's on the day of judgment when we, you know, hey, look, 
the Lord knows everything. He knows our hearts. He knows our every, every thought and everything that goes it through our, our biological bodies, our spirit, our minds. He knows it all. So trust me when I say you're never going to fool him. So the sooner you understand that it we're, we're to live a purified and sanctified life only by the strength of the spirit and the Lord of God, the, our Lord, that when you are standing before him, you can de- be genuinely rewarded for a genuine faith and a life lived genuinely. And that's it. That is the greatest reward you'll ever, and we don't do this for rewards. We do this because we love the Lord, because he first loved us. But by, I still, it's still, I still have all when I think about the fact that someday we're going to be rewarded for living and doing everything he empowers us to live and do. But if we, uh, anybody that's walked this walk, they know that it's not an easy one. It's frankly the hardest walk you'll ever do because when you're fully yielded and submitted to Christ, I'll tell you, (laughs) you talk about coming in some forks in the road, you'd be amazed. You would be amazed at the things that come your way. (laughs) One of my favorite pastors, Greg Laurie, always tells a story of when he first got saved, he had an experience where his, his, the the people that were you know more mature Christians than him said, "Greg, you're going to be tempted." And he's like, "Tempted? What are you talking about?" You know, he, they're like, "Trust me, when it happens, you'll know it." And then he tells a story where he was sitting in is he was still in high school when he got saved. He was in high school, and and look, he was just an average dude. You know, whatever. We're we're, we're all ninety percent of us were just average people in high school. So you know, stuff like this doesn't normally happen to to the, to the average Joe. But he's sitting there, and all of a sudden, the most beautiful girl in the whole grade comes up to him and basically offers to just take him away to her parents' cabin for the weekend so that they can, you know, just have a wild time, essentially. And he says, he's like, ah, that's what temptation is, you know? So, you know, look, it's (laughs) temptation comes in many forms, many facets, many different ways, but it's all custom made for exactly what your weakness in the flesh is. So trust me when I say, just avoid it. When, when it comes to any temptation, shut it down immediately and pray. Bring it before the Lord. Like I said earlier, get as vivid as you need to. God is not bashful. He's not shy. <laughs> trust me. Like I said, he knows every little thing and thought and every iota, every jot and tittle of, of your life. And there's nothing wrong with that. Thank God he does because he loves us enough to not only know it, but to just bring us through life. And again, he loves us enough. He loved us before we loved him. He died for us before we knew him. He died for us when we were still out being that that sinner in the world. But by his good grace, he called us to him. So he, he's right there with you. Trust me, he, he's amazing. He loves us. He's so good. He's just so good. So looking at the note here for 1 Corinthians 9.27, athletes who break the rules become disqualified. Paul's illustration stresses the necessity of self-discipline 
and the danger of flaunting one's liberties. Believers must practice self-denial and self-control even in matters that are morally indifferent. So again, sometimes, you know, there's different areas that are spoken about. There's different things that are spoken about in the Bible where, you know, you may, um, you know, when it comes down to uh, drinking alcohol, for example, nothing wrong with, I, I personally don't think there's anything wrong with drinking alcohol in moderation. Totally fine. But what you have to realize sometimes is if you're in a certain position, like a leadership position, for example, and if you're, you know, out and about with um, maybe uh, newer believers and maybe, you know, somebody might have, might be a former alcoholic, there's, while you may not have that issue, you have to realize that you are an example to people and we are examples to the world of who, what a Christian is. So, you know, you, you don't ever want to, um, I guess, set the wrong example for people. Um, again, I'm not saying people have to be, uh, um, you know, bone dry when it comes to alcohol, but it, whatever it might be, not just that, but, um, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, different types of shows and movies and things like that, it's better to just avoid the things that are questionable and have self-control and self-discipline because really that's what the uh, a majority of the Christian life and sanctification, it's all about self-control. It's all about um, self-discipline. You know, I mean, look, there's stuff I just won't go and watch. There's stuff I just won't even entertain because I know I'm going to go down roads that I don't want to go down. There's, there's places I won't go. There's people I won't call or be around because they're not going to be, they're not going to be a good influence on me. Let's put it that way. So I just, I know this and I have the self-discipline and self-control to say no, you know, and, and that's that. I mean, there, that's the reality of life. Um, it's, it is what it is, but especially when it comes to, look, I always tell people, you know, especially younger people and, and people that are not as spiritually mature, look, the sooner you learn how to say no to whatever it is that's being, that's tempting you, then the better off you'll be in the long run. Because at the end of the day, I mean, you're always going to, we're always, as long as we're alive in this sinful world and in a sinful flesh, we're always going to have those things that are going to present themselves to us. But you just, <laughs> as the old saying goes, just say no, you know, and it, it's true though. It's so true. And Look, just like the enemy can try to break you down morally, saying no can help you build up a wall morally to just to a point where, again, there's certain things in life. And I say this out of all humility because no one is beyond temptation, like Paul says. But I can say there's certain things where I just won't even entertain it. It's like, no, no, thanks. I'm not even thinking about that because I just know where that's going to lead me. Again, that's after a lot of mistakes I've made in life. That's after a lot of, um, you know, life experience, both good and bad. Um, but, you know, that's part of the mystery and the, and the process of sanctification and growing uh, spiritually and, and as a person. You know, I mean, look, I'm not saying Christians are young to people that, you know, mature and grow and, and learn life lessons. I wouldn't be naive or, or ignorant enough to say that. Because I know people that aren't Christians that are very well put together and, and smart and moral to a degree. 
But the difference is, I mean, look, we're guided by Christ and we have a purpose for why we do those things. And it's not to be in, in it's not necessarily to be a, um, an outward appearance of something, knowing that we have that inward evil. But, you know, even when you shut that stuff down in the physical realm, there's something in the spiritual realm that happens, too, where eventually it just kind of goes away. And don't be surprised. And I'll tell you this. For God, when we're set free of something and when God brings us out of something, you better believe that Satan knows your weaknesses and he knows he look, Satan might flee. He might leave you alone for about something for a year, maybe two years, maybe three, maybe a decade. But don't be surprised and you better keep your guard up because he is going to come back around someday trying to appeal and appease to that old side of you, that old man. And that's the struggle. And I'm telling you, it, it happens to me sometimes. Certain things in life that I was caught up in, even though I'm walking strong, I'm walking in the Lord's will, I, I have a totally different life. There are still times where, the, where random temptations will come up. And I'm like, where does this come from? But I'll tell you what's cool, too is I've lived life long enough, I'm 43 years old, I can see almost in my life, I can look back at times when I have fallen into those traps and temptations of thinking, oh, well, you know, I'm over this. I can just dabble a little bit. And by the time I know it, I'm right back where I was, even worse than I was before. Now, I've made a decision to really close those doors, thank God, and now when that, that familiar spirit comes back around, I mean, look, it's been said, I, I'll just quickly just touch on this because it is something that could be true. But, you know, wh when something's cast out of your life, it could be a very, it could be a demon, could be a demonic influence. Look, we're influenced by uh, the world of flesh and the devil. And, you know, there could be very... Very well, um, if you ever read the screw tape letters, um, you know, C.S. Lewis makes a, a really cool illustration. And who knows? Maybe I believe we all have guardian angels, but who knows that we don't have demons assigned to us as well to try to drag us down to hell. I do believe that, you know, Satan wants to bring every last person that he can with him. So my point is, when you have a demon that's cast out away from you, don't be surprised if it comes knocking, you know, six like I said, a, a time later, a time later where, and it's a very familiar thing. Again, you know, Satan's, he, he's a father of all lies, but he is baseless as well. So he only has so much that he can try to tempt you with, you know, especially those old habits or those old things. You know, it, you can see right through it as, as you mature. But there were times in my life where it was crippling, where I was just, I, I was led around by the flesh, not falling into traps that I did not even see the, the disastrous, you know, <laughs> the spikes in the pit, if you will. And I'm just walking along and all of a sudden, oh, I'm, let me see what's over here. And boom, I'm right. <laughs> I'm in a place that I just really never intended to be. But point being, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be surprised. Don't fall into the things of the world and develop that self-discipline and self-control. And look, it all goes hand in hand. Get into the word of God. Get around godly people. You know, th these are actions we take on our own to build our faith, to build our spiritual maturity, 
to build our knowledge of who God is. And, you know, um, it, the less we try, the more we succeed in this spiritual walk. And it's really just when it comes down to it, it's really just being wise, having spiritual discernment. And, um, you know, the basis for all spiritual discernment is the living word of God, because that's where we get all of our knowledge of who God is and how he works, how he operates. You know, there's a reason I, I, I'm here. There's a great series of the Charles, Dr. Charles Stanley is in the middle of right now about spiritual discernment. And one point he made in the sermon I listened to this morning was, there's a good reason why God has such an expansive account of from Genesis to Revelation of revealing little part of who he is. If he were to just write down on a piece of paper, here's God, you know, you know, uh, you know, it would be very simple to look at and understand, but it wouldn't really apply. It wouldn't be that applicable because it would, um, although we would have knowledge of it, we wouldn't really, um, it, it just wouldn't be the same. You know, when you look at something like, you know, how stale, like a list can be or something that's very formal. But, you know, when you have something that's engaging and that's very um, relevant to your life, then you really your ears perk up and you really get interested in it. Well, <laughs> trust me when I say when you get into this living word of God, it's very applicable to everyone's life, no matter who they are. And that's why thousands of years later, we're still reading it. It's still applicable because, like I always say, technology and everything else can change around us. But the heart of the human that the man man's corrupt soul just is the same same yesterday today and not forever because someday we'll be in glorified bodies and in the presence of christ but and not even necessarily today because i am different than i was years ago thank god by his good grace and mercy but all right, moving on, we're going to look at a verse now that applies some uh, some passages that apply to Galatians 5.9, again, where Paul says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So this was something, actually, when I first really started this Bible study, it was something that stuck out to me pretty vividly. And it was just the idea that, again, just trying to think you can have, you know, a little bit of sin or just, uh, you know, try to control, you know, ourselves in, in limited ways. But, you know, it, when it comes down to it, we can't. It's impossible. It doesn't happen. But let's flip back. We're going to be in First Corinthians again. We're going to be this time in chapter five and look at verses six through eight, where Paul says, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let's look at the notes for that section, because he's saying a lot there, and we'll go from there. On the night of the first Passover in Egypt, the Hebrews removed all the leaven from their houses, a practice still carried on among Jewish people. 
Leaven has a fermenting action that illustrates the corrupting power of evil. Since Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed, the church ought to have an unleavened house. Otherwise, the yeast of sin can spread if unchecked. Ignored discipline denies the purpose of Christ's death. So, again, I mean, very plain there, but, you know, a little leaven, it destroys the whole loaf of bread. So if you've ever baked and actually physically used, you know, yeast, essentially, is what it's talking about. If you get a little bit of yeast in there and you don't want it in there, then the whole thing is ruined. You have to start over. So when it comes down to it in life, when we allow a little bit of sin to enter into our hearts, our lives, then the entire, our entire life starts to go sideways real fast. And trust me, (laughs) I, I, my beautiful girlfriend and I speak about this sometimes, but it's the idea of unforeseen consequences. You may think that you can just get away with a little this, little that, and we're going to, you're going to be fine. But God knows what we don't know. And there's a reason why he gives us very detailed and um, very specific commandments because he knows what's around the corner. And although you may think, oh, it's all good. I can do this or that. No, it's really not. Because again, a little bit of leaven, a little bit of sin You never know the ripple effect of how sin can affect your life. You you don't know, but God does. And that's why he warns against it. That's why we're talking about it right now. So let's move on and continue in some verses discussing the leaven. We're going to move up to the master teacher. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 16, verses 5 through 12. And let's see what Jesus said about this topic. Now, when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up, nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I do not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So again, getting back to the point of in Galatians, why Paul mentions this and what I was ta- what I've been kind of honing in on over the past, well, since we started Galatians, that legalism, that one little law saying, look, it you're saved, but you just have to be circumcised too. The minute you attach anything to the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, that little bit of leaven, that little bit of false doctrine kicks open a door 
to so many, again, God knows what we don't know, unforeseen consequences. Like I was talking about, the idea that you do something or don't do something creates such pride and such a puffed up ego and attitude that soon you're looking around and saying, we're the only people that are saved because we do or don't do this. Trust me, I lived it. That's the exact attitude that that church had in that fellowship. They they intermarried because they didn't want to have they they couldn't have relationships with anybody that didn't believe and do or don't do the same exact things that they did. And it, it's a, it's a poison. It's a poison in the in the body. It's a poison in the church. And those little bit of that little rationale you might have thinking and saying, oh, well, you know, we're just going to, you know, we're, we're just we're, we're not going to go to movies at all. We're not going to drink any alcohol at all. We're not going to own a television at all. The minute you make it a rule, again, you're violating God's very law of Christian liberty. Again, things that aren't sinful in, in themselves. And you're, you're making, you're essentially taking things that aren't sin and turning them into sin in order to try to avoid sin. That, that sentence almost doesn't make sense when you're just coming out of my mouth. But it's really, again, what it comes down to is the flesh trying to overcome the flesh. And it's foolish. Uh, we weren't saved in our own efforts. But I'll tell you what, that fellowship I was involved with when I was a late teen, they actually got to the point where they, they did say, I saved him. I saved them. They, they took credit for other people's salvation. I mean, this is the level to which this type of poison and legalism can get to, to the point of where people are walking around saying how they did things that only God can do. It's a scary reality, but like Paul's saying here, avoid it altogether, because although there might be worldly wisdom in it and fleshly wisdom, at the end of the day, it's the flesh trying to overcome the flesh, and it's poison. So let's look at the notes here for Matthew 16, verses 5 through 12, and we'll go from there. Leaven symbolized the false doctrine of the religious leaders. The Pharisees were legalists who reduced religion to form and ceremony. The Sadducees were rationalists and materialists, denying the supernatural elements in religion. So, you know, you don't want to get into religious garbage or garbage, as we would say here. You don't want to try to think that you're going to um, you're going to do what only God can do when it comes down to it. And that's exactly what legalism is. It's saying Jesus's death on the cross and resurrection wasn't enough for salvation. And then you're denying the very power of the spirit of God that we're filled with to sanctify our lives you're trying to tell the Lord, it's okay, I'll sanctify this part of my life. It, it, it's just utter foolishness. It's scary. I, I, I get 
fear overcomes me when I think of that because I know <laughs> how how much the Lord really hates that. And there's a reason why he allows people to fall hard when they decide and they think that they're just going to go do it on their own because it's just, it's never going to work. It's foolishness. Man's wisdom is foolishness to God. Any man's wisdom. I don't care who they are. Get into this word. Know this word. You won't fall into the foolishness of man's wisdom. And trust me when I say you will be much better off knowing the true word of God and his true character than any false teachings any man can try to give you or any secret secret um, revelation that they might have. Look, there's no secrets. Genesis to Revelation. That's the revelation of God. That's it. So be very weary of people who are coming to you with new doctrine or secrets in the Bible or anything like that because it's a bunch of garbage. All right. Next, we're going to flip up. We're going to look at some passages that relate to Galatians 5.13, again, where Paul says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Not only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So we're going to stay in 1 Corinthians, believe it or not. <laughs> and this time we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 9 through 13, because, again, these are just some verses that really expose and relate to what Paul's saying. He's, you know, he had some recurring themes, you could say, throughout what he had to, you know, discuss with the newer churches, because it's like the same issues kept coming up in different forms here and there. And he really... um you know, he just gives some real, we, we receive some real revelation from the Spirit by looking at these different cross-referenced verses and passages. So again, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 9 through 13. But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, Will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So again, kind of going back to what I was saying about the whole alcohol example, Paul's talking here, and look, back then, in, in um, many different parts of the, the known world, um, idolatry and uh, temples were, were all over the place to false idols. And they made many false sacrifices to idols and offered up their meals. You know, how we bless our food in the name of Jesus they bless their food in the name of these false idols. And again, although we may not, we can eat those things because, you know, when we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, we're good to go. But if there's uh, someone who came out of witchcraft or came out of that fault, that system of idolatry, if they saw Paul, for example, eating and partaking in those things, well, they might think, oh, well, that's all good. I'm going to do that too. But 
you know, the effect, it could be totally different. They could fall and stumble right back into their old life. And essentially what this passage is saying is indirectly, you know, you're offending Christ and you're causing another to stumble. And that's something we really, really don't want to do. So let's look at the um, notes for again, 1 Corinthians 8 verses 9 through 13, and we'll go from there. Being a stumbling block involves more than upsetting another or ignorantly offending. It is a serious, deliberate offense that wounds or weakens another's conscience or ruins a relationship with Christ. Sin against a brother is a sin against Christ. Christian liberty must always be exercised in love with a view to strengthening others. So that's a responsibility of ours. You know, as mature Christians, we are called to set a good example. You know, we are called to, um, you know, <laughs> leadership by example. I'm a former Marine. That's one of the biggest things that's emphasized in the Marine Corps. And for good reason, because even me on the civilian side of life right now and in the civilian world, I can say that when we, you know, and this is human nature, too. I mean, look, <laughs> this applies across the board to anybody. If you have a good leader ahead of you and you see what they do and it comes down, look, I'll just break it down to parenting. When it comes, there's a good saying that that's very uh, wise and very um, true. Kids do what they see, do what they see you do before they do what you say. So when it comes down to it, leadership by example, again, what you do is what your children will do before anything. I guess really when I think about it, that uh, child-parent relationship is a really good way to kind of summarize a lot of this stuff because even when it comes down to, um, you know, being a good example to your child, you want to set the best example you can. And although there may be things that are good or bad or may not be bad per se, but you may not want your child to do, well, if you go and do them, even though you tell your child, don't do it, the worst kind of parents, a hypocritical parent, the worst kind of person is a hypocrite. You know, there's something that happens in the spiritual realm when we practice the self-discipline, when we practice the self-denial, when we live what we preach, that strengthens our testimony to the point of where our our very words, our, our, what we're trying to convey to people, is truly strengthened, and um, you know, there's there's power in those words, and I can say that one hundred percent from experience that there's there's a certain release, if you will, of of just truth when you're truly not only talking the talk but walking the walk. I guess when it comes down to it. Because like I said, the Lord knows all and he knows everything. And, you know, people aren't stupid either. They can see right through somebody, you know, when you're saying don't do this and then you're out doing it. I mean, people are like, oh, well, <laughs> his word means nothing, you know. So, you know, just, um, again, take that into deep consideration. Ponder that because that's very true and real. And that's just, again, that's just a principle of life and humans in general. So. But this obviously is taking it to, to Paul's taking this to deeper levels and deeper 
when we're Christians and we're held to deeper, uh, greater standards, for example, and we are, um, you know, and I'm, I'm saying like, you know, we're called to not lust after women, for example, as men, you know, and as a Christian, frankly, you shouldn't be telling dirty jokes. You shouldn't be partaking in any filth or lustful things, because e- even if you, you may think of it as innocent, you know, again, somebody who's more not as mature as you, they may think, oh, well, he does this. Well, I can do this. You know, like yeah, that, that that's a minute example, but it, it's a very big problem in our society right now is, is lust. I mean, they're, look at sexual morality is so rampant these days. It's, it's sickening. It's sickening. It, it really is uh, just the stuff that goes on and the stuff that's happening. But, you know, um, that's one huge thing that's really got to be emphasized and understood is that you really need to be careful in, in the example you set, especially in that department, because it's very important that we stay sexually pure as examples of Jesus Christ, because he really, that if there, it's one of the most offensive things to God is sexual immorality. And it's one of the, there's one there's something about it because when you are when you commit fornication or adultery you you are spiritually linked to those situations and people and there's it's just a, it's a very offensive thing to the lord so we have to really be cautious and careful of that all right flipping up to some more a couple more passages that relate to Galatians 5.13, we're going to be in 1 Peter next, chapter 2. We're going to look at just two verses, 15 and 16. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak or vice, but as bondservants to God. Amen. And that idea of being a bondservant, again, we are... um, you know, we are the same way we used to serve the world, the flesh and the devil. We are now the Lord's and we are to serve him in mind, body, soul and spirit. So we are to give everything to him and we are to be living sacrifices. As Paul talks about, you know, in Romans, I believe it's Romans 12. Let me just get one. We're going to be in Romans next. We're actually going to flip back to Romans Chapter 6, yes. If you look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen and hallelujah. I love that passage. It's one of my favorite two verses in the Bible. It's just so, so incredibly impactful. And it just says so much about who we're called to be a living sacrifice. You know, exactly what it says there. Um, We are called to, again, self-discipline, self-denial, self-control. None of this is possible without the Holy Spirit of God living around us, without us yielding every area of our life to God, and without us sometimes pleading to the Lord 
to help us walk that straight and narrow path we're called to. But it's a glorious path. I'll tell you, it's the best path you can ever be on. The straight and narrow, just beautiful path right to the kingdom of God. There's nothing, nothing worth looking right or left or, or straying a, a, away from. I can promise you that. So, all right, we're going to be in Romans 6 again. We're going to look at verses 11 through 23. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God, be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanliness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen and hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right. So let's look at the notes for that section. Again, that was Romans 6, verses 11 through 23. And we'll go from there. There's so much. I mean, Paul says so much in there. I could just talk about that one passage all day long. But, I mean, essentially, again, he's talking about what you present yourself to is what you will be a slave of. But I love how he says, present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. You know, we're called to be instruments of righteousness, you know, instruments of righteousness to God. You know, and it's amazing how God will take our little bit of self-sacrifice and just totally change our lives into being obedient servants of him. And just trust me when I say, if I can say these words, anybody can say them, that who the sun sets free is free indeed. It's just a matter of, do you want to be set free? You know, let the Lord again, become a living sacrifice, surrender everything to the Lord and let him have it. And he will just lead you in ways and to paths that you could never even begin to fathom. 
So, all right. Again, looking at the notes for Romans 6, verses 11 through 23. Dead to sin. Not controlled by the love of sin or its ruling power in our lives. Dead to its enslaving power. Therefore, a natural conclusion from verses 2 to 11 is that if we are dead to the ruling power of sin, and if sin has destructive effects in our lives, then, of course, we should not let it reign in our bodies. We have a continual choice day after day whether to yield ourselves to sin or to God. Members, the various parts of our bodies, probably as representative of all aspects of our lives. Quickly, just a comment on that point there. The day-to-day point. I mean, look, every day when we wake up, it's a new opportunity to change anything in life. If you do something today you're not happy with. I'm talking anything from bad habits, sinful habits, and even things that aren't sinful, like like dietary things, for example. If you're not happy with your, you know, current state of health, you know, if you're not happy with whatever it is in life, every day's a new day to make a change. And don't underestimate the reality of that very truth, because, you know, just as I I just can't emphasize enough how it is it is so important to to realize that we have. God knows the amount of days we have on this earth, but at the at the same time, we have new days to wake up to every day. And just because you might not be happy with yesterday doesn't mean today or tomorrow have to be the same. You can always change something. And like Paul says in Romans 12 about the renewal of the mind, a lot of the ways I've overcome things in life are just having a different perspective and mindset. And a shift. And sometimes just being so sick of it and just pleading with the Lord. Again, a lot of time in prayer and on your face before God we will do you a lot of good because he is your best friend. He's your most intimate friend you'll ever have. We have best friends. We have spouses. We have children. But trust me when I say no one knows you as well as the Lord does. And he wants you to cast all of your burdens all of your sin, all of your, your, your failures, all of your wants, needs, and desires. He wants you to cast all of those on him. Let him filter them out. He'll keep the good. The bad will burn in the fire. And trust me, his will will come to, come to fruition in your life and just fill your life in ways that you, you can't even imagine. You really can't. But He's faithful, he's good, and he loves us enough to do that. So, all right, picking up on the note at the note for Romans 6.14 in my Spirit-Filled Life, New King James Version Bible, it says, Though we can never say in this life that we are free from all sin, we also should never say, This one sin has defeated me, I give up. The power of Christ's resurrection at work within us is greater than the power of any sin, no matter how long established in our lives. To be under law is to be under a system of trying to earn salvation in our own strength by obeying the law. But to be under grace is to be justified and to live by the indwelling resurrection power of Christ. We can die to sin 
not because of the law forbidding it, but through all the resources that grace provides. Some erroneously interpret this verse to mean that it does not matter if Christians disobey God's moral commands because they are no longer under law. Such an interpretation, antinomianism, antinomianism, is contrary to Paul's whole discussion of sin and to Jesus' own words about the law. See Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Picking up the note 4, Romans 6, 15 to 23. Once again, Paul responds to the supposition that grace encourages or permits sin. He uses the analogy of slavery to combat a casual attitude towards sin and issues a stern warning on the serious consequences of yielding to sin. A person is a slave of that to which he gives obedience or that which he recognizes as his master. If he obeys the commands of sin, then sin is his master, and he is moving in the direction of death. If he obeys the commands of righteousness, then righteousness is his master, and he experiences true life. Paul's readers, once slaves of sin, have renounced sin as master and have committed themselves as slaves of righteousness. Paul uses the human analogy of slavery in appealing for holiness. In doing so, he reminds his readers of the contrast between the old, unregenerate life and the new, regenerate life. Slaves of sin do not recognize the obligation to righteousness, but rather abandon themselves to the process of a moral deterioration which has death at its end. Slaves of God, on the other hand, devote themselves to holiness, a road that leads to everlasting life. Verse, 20, excuse me, verse 23 summarizes the consequences of the two types of slavery. Amen and hallelujah. Like I always say, you're going to be subject and a slave to something. You are. So when it comes down to it, you should really just... Subject yourself to the Lord, his Holy Spirit, and let him work and show you what life is truly all about. He will show you his goodness. He will show you how much he loves you and cares for you. And you really, there's nothing better in the world than having God's divine, amazing character revealed in your life. Nothing compares to it. Nothing comes close to it, because when he does that, everything in life makes sense. Everything is put into a whole different context, and everything is truly revealed to us in that amazing revelation of who God is. Okay, and now we are going to stay, we're going to go back into 1 Corinthians, actually. And now we're going to look at one more verse that relates to, again, where Paul's talking about liberty and not abusing our liberty. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians. We're going to read chapter 10, actually, the whole chapter, because it really talks about, um, it just really, it's very relatable to this. And it's just a great passage. So 
1 Corinthians 10, starting at verse 1, my spirit filled like New King James Version Bible subtitles this section, Old Testament examples. And, you know, if anybody knows me by this point, I love the Old Testament. And I, anytime I get to talk about the awesome, awesome men of faith from the Old Testament and, and women, women, Rahab, you know, so many, so many people of faith, I should say, from the Old Testament that, uh, you know, it's just great. Esther, you know, um, it's just a beautiful, gosh, what, what an amazing, amazing way God chose to reveal himself through his living word. Just so thankful and grateful that he loves us enough to do that. So again, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Again, this is talking about why we shouldn't think we can abuse our liberty in Christ and just go out and sin. So take note. I mean, he's laying out some real truth and weighty things here. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able? But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything, or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and drink the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Quickly stop in there. Again, I mean, Paul is just, he's hammering this point across. You can't... <laughs> 
You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in, in, in the kingdom. Look what he says. I mean, you, you can't drink from the cup of the Lord and cup of demons. You can't partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. I mean, how much clearer does Paul have to make it that you're either going to choose God or, Saint Ted or satanic influence? It's right there in front of us. So don't be deceived. Uh, again, Satan, you would never know Satan by looking at him because he was described to be one of the most perfect beings God ever created. But he's one of the ugliest beings as well on the inside because, you know, beauty is only skin deep, not to be too cliche here, but at the same time, I mean, it's easy to fall into these temptations that can seem innocent and beautiful and appealing to the flesh. But at the end of the day, they're demonic, evil, and we are not to partake of, of whatever it is. When it comes down to it, we're not to partake of sin. And that is God's commandment. And like he says, like he's saying here through Paul, you can't have a seat at God's table and a seat at the table, table of the devil. You can't. You, you cannot. Picking up at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience' sake. For the, Lord, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience' sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it. For the sake of the one who told you, and for conscience's sake. For the earth is the Lord's, and all its fullness. Conscious, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with, that, with thanks, why am I evil? Excuse me. Let's start over. First uh, Corinthians ten verse thirty. But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the Church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. Wow. All right. So let's look at the notes for that section, and then we'll go from there. Again, the notes for essentially 1 Corinthians 10. Christian liberty has its limits. It does not include flirting with idolatry. Although idols are non-entities, the demonic powers behind them are real. History illustrates the danger of self-indulgence. Israel had redemptive experiences that parallel water baptism and eating and drinking the Lord's Supper, but many sinned and were destroyed. These same lessons apply today. This and related texts give full and strong warrant 
for the New Testament believers' study of Old Testament passages to draw lessons from assertions and analogies. That rock was Christ. Christ is central to all of redemptive history. The birth of Jesus was an incarnation, not his beginning. He was behind the miraculous source of manna and water in the wilderness. The rock followed them in the sense that the blessings of Christ, as symbolized in the supply of water, never failed. The first coming of Christ, not his second coming, marks the ends of the ages. The second coming concludes what the first unfolds and will bring to accomplishment. We live in an overlap between the former and the new creation. Paul gives a solemn warning against independent self-confidence concerning one's moral security and follows with a message of encouragement. Temptation translates a Greek word which can mean enticement to evil or testing in general, including various kinds of trials. The word should probably be understood in the broad sense with the further understanding that while God permits testing for the purpose of strengthening faith and character, Satan entices to evil for the purpose of destruction. The Corinthians need not despair when they consider two things. One, their temptations are not unique as evidenced by the experiences of Israel in the wilderness. God may be trusted not to allow them to be tempted in excess of their ability to endure and overcome. Not only will he limit trials, he will always provide the way of escape. To eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols might be innocent, but to eat such food as part of an idol feast in a pagan temple was quite another matter. Just as believers commune with Christ in the Lord's Supper, and as Hebrew worshippers entered into fellowship with all that the altar represented when they offered sacrifices, so sharing food as part of a pagan festival involves fellowship with demons. The cup of blessing refers to the third of the four cups of wine at the Passover meal and was likely the cup after supper. Idolatrous activity amounts to a confrontation with God. The quotations, sacrifice to demons and not to God, and provoke the Lord to jealousy, are from Moses' Song of Witness, which adds historical solemnity to the warnings. In a non-religious, personal, or social situation, food offered to idols can be eaten unless it involves the conscience of another brother. No created thing in itself is sinful, since everything belongs to God, but it is inconsistent to glorify God and hurt others. The final arbiter must be considerate love, not knowledge or liberty. So again, that's where Paul's talking about the conscience of basically, you know, uh, not offending a brother or offending a person, a believer, um, fellow believer, that is, by your actions, whatever it may be, even though they may not be directly offensive, they could be construed as offensive to certain people. So 
you know, um, and look, this is all situational, you know, it's, it's obviously, you know, there's obvious things, you know, don't go to a satanic feast and sit with pagans and eat um, meals offered to uh, Satan, which these days, unfortunately, you could probably find that any, any city, any town, anywhere advertised. But at the same time, there's different subtle things that, you know, again, it comes down to the situation, context, and what exactly, you know, who you're dealing with on a, on a, on a certain level. So before we get out of this passage of Corinthians, I want to quickly look at this word liberty that we've been throwing around and talking about most of this uh, particular study, because it's an important word that we understand. And, you know, this, again, the word wealth defines it. It's eleutheria, eleutheria. Freedom from slavery, independence, absence of external restraint, a negation of control or domination, free of access. Paul exalted in the liberty that there is in Christ Jesus. Legalistic believers were critical of this new lifestyle, but he responded, I am free from religious bondage. Why does anyone want me to go back to it? We are free to serve the Lord in all the ways that are consistent with his word, will, nature, and holiness. Amen and hallelujah. So again, we can always measure exactly, you know, anytime you think you're called to something, anytime you think you may be hearing from the Lord, anytime you may be thinking you're feeling, you know, feeling moved by the Holy Spirit, all, always weigh that against the backdrop of the living word of God, because God, one reason he gives us his word is so that we know him and we know when we're hearing from him and we know when his Holy Spirit is moving on us. He will never push us in a direction that is against his word or contradictory to his word because God's nature is consistent. He does not contradict himself. He does not lead us into evil. He does. He allows us to be tempted but like that passage said there, he always gives us a way of escape. He always gives us a way out. Whatever it takes, get up and get out, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, just just do it. Don't entertain it. Just get out. All right. We're going to finish up with one more verse here. This one relates to Galatians 5.14 that says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So that's a beautiful way, you know, just a beautiful approach to life in general, also called the golden rule in, in the world. But, you know, treat others how you want to be treated, essentially, is another way to interpret that and say it. But, you know, it's true. I mean, just imagine just uh, just on a human level, if everybody treated each other how you wanted to be treated. I mean, I fortunately, I can say I really do apply that to, you know, 90% of 95% of my day for the most part. And it, it's really nice. It's, it's a great way to live. It's a great way to just, um, it's a, it's a great approach to life. You know, um, it'll really make you step back sometimes and then it'll, it, it's a very humbling way to live as well. I mean, we're called to lives of humility, to meekness, contriteness and spirit, you know, and you know, one really good way to, um, develop those three attributes within yourself is to, Treat others how you want to be treated, because trust me, it's hard to do that when somebody treats you and cuts you off on the road, for example, or 
talks to you or curses at you in, in ways or, or treats you in ways that you don't feel like you should be treated. It's very humbling to be able to step back and say, all right, let me just empathize a little bit here. Why is this person doing this? Why, why are they saying that? Why are they treating me this way? And then when you really understand the psychology and the reasoning sometimes behind their people's actions, as offensive as they may be at, you know, at first glance, usually you can see somebody's really hurting or there, there's something going on there. There's a reason why people are frankly evil and mean towards other people. And usually it's because they've either been treated that way or they have a horrible circumstance going on in life. Maybe they just have a horrible life in general, but whatever it is, we're really called to, we're definitely not called to respond the same way that we, you know, we don't um, repay evil for evil. That's for sure. But we, we try to treat others how we want to be treated. If you're having a bad day and you go off on somebody, you know, then, you know, you wouldn't want that in return. It's nice when somebody can call you aside and say, hey, what's going on? Why, why are you behaving this way or why did you react that way? You know, so it's, uh, it takes time. It, it takes prayer. It takes a lot of maturity, we'll say, to be able to do that. But it's a very rewarding way to live life and walk through life, too. And, you know, <laughs> your blood pressure will decrease immensely. Your um, heart rate will stay low. And it's it's a great thing when you can really develop that. And, again, it also ultimately leads to having a contrite spirit, you know, meekness, humility. It's it's They're all very very sound, good ways to um, approach life and approach people because at the end of the day, we're all called to, um, well, we all have to live on this planet, you know, and uh, it's a lot easier sometimes to just live peacefully. It is always easier to live peacefully than in war. So, all right, looking at some verses finally that relate to that passage, we're going to go again to the master teacher, Jesus Christ himself. We're going to be in Matthew. First, we'll look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, where Jesus says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law of the prophets. Looking at the note for that section. As an expression of the law of love, Jesus' new version of the Jewish, quote-unquote, golden rule, summarizes all that Christ requires of us in relation to others, as taught in Matthew chapter 5, 1 through chapter 7, 11, uh, 7, verse 11. So this is Jesus concluding. This is the Sermon on the Mount, and this is Jesus's, one of his greatest recorded teachings. And it just really is him just, you know, again, summing that, summarizing. He, he goes into detail about many, oh, Read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. The the Revelate, I, I did a series on that a little while back in season two, I believe it was. But I mean, just the life-altering revelation by the Lord himself as to how life works, how we work, how so many things work is just really incredible. And, you know, 
it's the master teacher laying out just master lessons, you could say. And he's just amazing at it. Obviously, he's a creator of all. And he's he's our ultimate good father, our good example, you know, our, our savior, our Lord. And he loves us enough to share that with us. So I'm telling you, get into that, study it. Shameless plug again. I did a nice long series on. I broke it all down, and uh, I believe it was season two. And um, that's actually yeah, it is a season two. It's uh, it's from the end all the way through the first, uh, the last like I don't know twenty thirty episodes with all the Sermon on the Mount. So, all right, we're gonna flip up now. We're gonna stay in Matthew, still looking at that golden rule, quote unquote, and we're gonna be in Matthew twenty two verses thirty four to forty. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. <laughs> so again, foolish men, foolish hypocrites, religious men, foolish worldly men trying to back Jesus into a corner. And basically always trying to get him foolishly. I mean, he ran circles around them since he was a child. Yet they're still trying to get him, catch him in blasphemy. They're trying to get him into a situation where they can essentially either stone him or, you know, put him up on charges that are obviously just false. But they're trying to create in him, they're trying to make him look like a criminal or trying to get him to say something offensive so that the crowds and the masses will stop following Jesus and, and, you know, follow them. But of course, the Lord, he just, again, the two greatest commandments, I'll tell you what they are. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, which if you do that, then you will love your neighbor as you love yourself. I mean, it, it's so simple. Yet again, if the world just did those two things, what a different world we would live in. Unfortunately, this is a fallen world, but the great news is someday we will have a world where people do love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and mind and treat each other how we want to be treated. That's when Jesus Christ, after his return, will come establish his kingdom finally on this earth. And that is during that millennial reign and rule. That is when we will truly see an uncorrupt government, a pure love for each other, a godly world that we were always meant to live in. How amazing that'll be. And that's not even the end, because there's going to be one more time when Satan's going to be unloosed after that thousand years. He's going to have to filter out again the impure, the rebellious, they will be once again trying to gather against God and fight him. God will not even entertain it. He will send fire down, destroy them. And then the old earth, 
the old Jerusalem, they all pass away and God makes a new earth, a new Jerusalem. And that is where eternity truly begins. Hallelujah. Looking at the notes for Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. The Pharisees' code of morality consisted of countless minute rules and regulations. Jesus summed up all moral obligations in the word love, expressed in the twofold direction of God and neighbor. The quotation in verse 37 is from the Jewish schema, which all Jews repeated twice daily. So again, if you really look at it, we initially started out talking about how love fulfills the law. And we conclude here with Jesus talking about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Again, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Hallelujah and amen. That is how love fulfills the law. Because love at the end of the day, if we love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, then that is the perfect world. That is what, that is all God asks from us because he is the source of all love. That amazing reciprocation that we have with him, that relationship changes us to a point of where we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Finishing up in the truth and action section, section three at the end of Luke, again, addressing this whole idea. Steps to dynamic devotion. Whereas the old covenant focused on the external practices of devotion, Jesus prevent, presents devotion as a matter of the heart. He contrasts sincere, heartfelt devotion with the external, hypocritical, pretentious practices of piety among the Pharisees. He warns his disciples against allowing even genuine good works to distract from wholehearted devotion to him. Devotion is a matter of developing an intimate relationship with the living God, learning the warmth of a life that draws near to his father heart. And then the action section, always pray in an honest and sincere manner. Experience times of private prayer. Forsake any display of religion that is done only for man's approval. Employ the Lord's Prayer daily as an outline for personal worship, intercession, petition, warfare, and praise. Avoid setting the Lord's work as a priority over the Lord's presence. Prefer Mary's place, learning at the feet of Jesus himself, but serve like Martha, whom he commended. Practice patient, persistent, persevering prayer. Know that only total love for God can empower you to love rightly yourself and your neighbor. Celebrate the Lord's Supper often. 
approach it with faith, receiving the life and healing it provides. Amen. So again, how does love fulfill the law? Again, when we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and spirit, and being, and everything that we are, and we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, we fulfill the law of the Lord. Everything in the law, none of it would ever come become an issue because we are living and operating and functioning in the true relationship and love that God calls us to. So that's going to conclude our look at Galatians 5, 7 through, what do we look at? 7 through 13, I believe it was. Let's see. Yes, we were in 7 through 15. Again, looking at how love fulfills the law. Next, we're going to conclude, I believe we'll conclude our look at Galatians. Let's see here. So, Galatians 5, that is. So, yeah. So, next, we're going to look at walking in the Spirit. We'll look at Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Then we have one more chapter of Galatians, and then we'll go from there. I had initially been saying I was going to go back to Leviticus and keep looking at the law of Moses, but I think the Lord's leading me in a different direction. So I'm excited for that. I'm looking forward to it. But right now, again, that concludes our look at Galatians 5 through 17, how love fulfills the law. And in our next episode, we'll continue our look at Galatians 5. But until then, God bless and have a great day.